You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Episode 88, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system in a fun, informative format through expert analysis. And today's expert is Dr. Randy Lovell, an orthopedic surgeon in Grand Rapids, who has been a longtime friend of mine and colleague in the OR, and his story is so unique. It's so much fun. Uh, this is probably one of my most fun interviews I've done, just because uh, this has sort of been culminating for a year or more. But we're going to talk about Randy's really unique orthopedic practice that he's established and how he's transforming the, at least hand care, specialty care in Grand Rapids. And I think it's a model that others will probably find very interesting and maybe ones they want to replicate. I want to apologize a little bit for the layoff of over a month for the show. Uh, I'm back in the saddle. We're going to start putting out episodes once a week as time permits and as we can keep things going. Uh, definitely are some exciting things going on in podcasting world for me, which I'll announce later on as we get closer. Uh, I do apologize because of COVID and just stuff going on in family. And anyway, things just got away from me for a couple of weeks. So Hopefully you've been able to catch up on some back episodes. If you're a first-time listener after this episode, please go back through the titles and find something that you find of interest. You'll find a wide variety of topics in healthcare, both the delivery system, and how physicians are operating, working, in the, and how patients interact with physicians and sort of the problems with the, the system and solutions people are finding, which I think are really, really fun. And that's why we're going to talk about today, why I think it's such a fun interview. Uh, it's also one I've, as I mentioned in the show, I was the most nervous about just because I feel directly responsible to Dr. Lovell's success or failure <laughs> in his new venture. Um, I'd also like to uh, recommend if you're interested in health sharing ministry, I mentioned that uh, briefly in the episode, there would be a link to it on the show notes page at theparadox.com slash 088. Uh, my family and I have been using it, been saving quite a bit of money. You can go to Samaritan's uh, website and, you know, with a referral, you can certainly put my name, Eric Larson, and I appreciate that uh, extra support for the show. Finally, I'd like to thank all my patron supporters at patreon.com slash the paradox. There, of course, you can find out ways of supporting the show financially, which are much appreciated, obviously. Uh, but without further ado, my discussion with orthopedist Dr. Randy Lovell and his new joint venture. Enjoy. Welcome. I'm delighted to be joined here by my friend, Dr. Randy Lovell. Dr. Lovell is a, an orthopedic surgeon who went to medical school, went to Northwestern Medical School, did his residency in Grand Rapids, then left for great state of Texas for a year to do his hand fellowship in Baylor. Returned to Grand Rapids has been in practice here ever since. And I have to say, this is the interview that I've had some trepidation beginning. <laughs> so Nothing to worry about. <laughs> well, it's mainly because um, what we're going to discuss today, because when I first started my show, I told people around the OR that I had my show. And so I, I kind of knew who had seen my show, like I knew who I told that I was doing a show. And I ran into you in the OR one day and you said, oh yeah, I lost, listened to your show. I said, well, how, I'm sure I haven't run into Randy. How could possibly you've gotten to my show? You said, oh, he showed up on my podcast player. I don't know if you even remember that. Uh, vividly, vividly. Yeah. And you're like, hey, I know this Eric Larson guy. And 
then at, over the years since I've done my show, I've had obviously lots of topics on you know, free market medical stuff or whatever. And you would, you would say, oh, I really like this, the, this idea and I like to try and incorporate this. And then you decided to take, take the plunge and actually decide to implement all these things, right? And I knew you were going to do this. And I was really worried that this was going to turn out badly <laughs> and that I was responsible for it. Well, I'll let you know. I'll let you know when that day comes. No, it's it's been, there's no question that your unintended consequence of, of your work and this podcast, and it was more of a confirmation as much as anything. And it seemed that I would drive to work, whatever I was doing. And I really had no idea what the topic you were talking about was about. So I'm learning. And I, there were many days where I was pounding the steering wheel in my car <laughs> saying, I have thought this for so long and there's another person out there who does. And so it, it just, that happened over and over. And it was sort of validation of my feelings. And, and you and I've had some one-on-ones casually yeah. in the OR as well about the, the issues surrounding healthcare and how we just get droned into this notion that there is one way and it's the way that's been handed over to us and it's not great and not very many people are happy about it, but that's just what it is. And you had the courage to start a podcast to talk about some alternative ways of approaching it and thinking about it. And I was having ideas swirling in my head for a same reason. And, and it was just, the timing was exquisite in terms of, confirming my suspicions that there there are, there is a different way to do this there is a way we can make this better for our patients for ourselves for our staff for the community and i think the biggest thing is just an understanding that the way we're going to improve things in healthcare in this country is not going to be top down it's not going to come from a politician or a different president or a different senator or a different insurance company. It's going to be physicians starting podcasts. It's going to be physicians opening up novel practices that do things differently and are connected to their patients and letting their patients realize you have choices and creating a market where patients sit back and they can say, you know what? I don't, I don't love the way that that was presented to me. I'm going to see if there's another choice or another option and just giving people choice, which kind of doesn't exist right now. Yeah, well, you give me far too much credit in the sense that I had, on a scale of one to a hundred in courage, I'm probably like three. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't leave my practice and decide I'm just going to start a, my whole, you know, a whole new thing. So, uh, you're you're much closer to the hundreds <laughs> mark than I am. So I give you credit for that because uh, it's a lot easier to talk about stuff than to actually, you know, roll the dice and actually implement it. So you know, my hats off to you for for doing that. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> so well, bef- let's just talk about exactly what you've done. So you came. To to town in 2003, we were just talking about mm-hmm. actually offline. And yeah. um, I guess you'd say a traditional private practice, orthopedic mm-hmm. practice, where, and by traditional, we're going to talk, say insurance based, whether it's government mm-hmm. payers or private payers, when we've talked a number of times about insurance on this show. And you uh, made a couple changes just because the environment of healthcare as everywhere has changed. From a group standpoint, it changed a little bit for you too. And we're not going to talk about specifics because it's not really that important, I think, except sure. to say that. Now you've gone, you've totally decided to do something entirely different. So why don't you talk about what you, why you've decided to make the plunge and what you're doing? Well, you're exactly right. We started out on a small private practice and it was a great way to, to learn the ropes, if you will, but it was also a very traditional practice and it was very much regulated and restricted by the 
the ever increasing burden of insurance. And I found that the more I learned about the nuances, I mean, at one point I committed to being just an expert biller and coder and really understand and <laughs> almost sort of game the system. And all I found was one frustration after another and one more senseless or useless documentation thing that had to be done to try to change the code from this to that. And it just, after a while, it just felt so nonsensical that I kind of gave up and I just said, you know what, I'm going to focus on being the best actor I can and work on my techniques, work on my skills and can continue my knowledge base. And, and that wasn't a bad thing to do, obviously at the time, but uh, moving from that, of course, I've been in practice 17, 18 years, and then, you know, things changed. Obamacare changed. We went from private to employed, uh, which was a radical change. And it was really about then where the wheels started spinning. And as a hand surgeon, and this, this might be grim news for you, but um, <laughs> there is a growing, a growing movement in hand surgery, and it's really uh, much further along in Canada in parts of Europe where we're expanding the breadth of the ability to do hand surgery under local anesthesia in an office environment. And it includes larger cases And there's a whole process to that and a science behind the anesthetic component. And the worst part about it, quite frankly, is that I, you know, I don't see you guys as much and, and you and your colleagues who have been great friends over the years. So, and I miss, I do miss the camaraderie of that of that OR experience. And I will still sure. have that because obviously there's still cases that we do in the operating room. But the idea is behind the, the acronym is called Wallant wide awake, local anesthesia, no tourniquet. And the idea is a patient can have a diagnosis. You can anesthetize them. We do it very gently, very slowly. So people who are afraid of needles frequently will tell me that I thought I was really scared about it. And that was nothing. And, and then we do their procedure right then and there. So, as an anesthesiologist, you understand better than anybody the risks and the pitfalls of an endotracheal tube and a and an EKG monitor and the variety of medications and the reactions that can happen. And sure. so we, we eliminate that risk entirely. We also eliminate that expense entirely. Um, and and so we are able to pair the entire interaction down to kind of a single visit sometimes. Somebody can come in, get a diagnosis, and get their definitive surgical treatment if that's what they need. Not only that, they can drive in from a day at work on their way home for dinner, and they can drive themselves home. I've had people actually come to the office and have the procedure and go back to their own office where they work. And it is really a, a, a game changer in terms of work missed work time, the ability to, the, the disruption to their normal daily schedule. So it's it's a growing movement. I, I truly think it is the future of hand surgery. And um, it, it only makes sense. It's dramatically less expensive. It carves out the institutional expenses, the big hospitals, the big healthcare systems, the big surgical centers. Um, and so I'm obviously passionate about it and a huge believer in it. And I, and I, I just sort of took the head first plunge into the deep end with it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so uh, plenty of business for us. I'm not too worried at this point. Sure, you're safe. <laughs> we're we're kind of got plenty of stuff to do. Um, you know, I, the collegiality part is certainly a real thing. I mean, I, you yeah. know, when you're isolated, I suppose, you know, you could say, well, you're big enough, you have a couple other partners who are doing the same thing, and then maybe you get that sort of process back. Um, so you've really, so when you're talking about things, you're talking about removing a one aspect of expense, which is obviously anesthetic charge, but you're, you and actually mentioned, you, yeah, I was gonna say you actually, that's the obvious one to like, you know, me, anesthesiologist, right? <laughs> right. 
but essentially you're really you're cutting so much more out than just that right the the facility fee is sometimes much greater than the the physician charge uh, anesthesia charge and the equipment charges right i mean that when you look at and, and that's why you'll see um you know people will say well if you have your surgery done at a hospital versus a hospital surgery center versus an independent surgery center you'll see a disparity in prices although the care you receive is exactly the same Identical. the equipment's no difference except you know different people who work at those different places but essentially it's the same thing so you're changing all that but you're but you are what you're saying is you're actually doing even more than that right i mean because you're looking to not just change that part of the 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 procedure but you're talking and the visit and the experience for the patient, but you're talking about more than that too. You kind of just hinted that earlier that you're looking at having more, a different sort of pricing and different sort of way of interacting with, I guess the, that are the expense part of the procedure with third parties. Sure. Well, you, you covered a lot there. And, um, so trying to remember exactly everything I wanted to comment on, on the camaraderie standpoint, um, I did want to, you started with that and I will, this is a, this is not what your question is, but you'll have to remind what your question is. Cause I'll, I usually it. forget too. So it's okay. <laughs> so the camaraderie piece though, that I, that I miss being able to communicate with you and catch up with you and your colleagues. And, you know, we've all worked together for a lot of years and some good cases, some bad cases. And I do really miss that. It is in, in all, in other staff and other parts of the, the, the care episode when we're at one of the surgical centers of the hospital. But what I do love is the patient. I get to spend an hour with a patient who's wide awake. Right, and that's a totally different experience for you. Dramatic. It's it's yeah. profound, and and I've and and I found that to be incredibly rewarding, especially on the bigger cases. So the bigger cases, they're more nervous, and it's more time, and they're not seeing anything. They don't need to see anything. They're entirely. It's like they're in another room, but we're. I'm, I'm sometimes I'm leaning on them to get a better view on, you know, so you get to communicate with them the whole time. They, we ask them what kind of music they want to listen to. I took care of a guy today who wanted to listen to fifties country and we had Johnny cash and, uh, and, and company going and it was fantastic. And, and he was commenting that and, and telling us about his day and what he's going to do tomorrow and how his Newfoundland for two nights in a row now has come up from the lake with porcupine quills in his nose so <laughs> you just get this this interaction with you know instead of a busy clinic where you have you know not as much time maybe with a patient and it's really focused on the figuring out the diagnosis and what do they want to do about it and teaching them about that now you're just doing the case and a lot of these cases as you know are routine cases we do them on a repetitive basis so there's stepwise and of course we're concentrating but i we're able to, I mean, I'm checking with them all the time, but they start to tell stories. They'll tell us about their past. They tell about their, you know, been married 59 years. And it's really, really a fun and totally different as opposed to the patient who's sound asleep. And there's this cape pulled over the whole episode and this mystery that happens yeah. and you're asleep and then you're awake. And what happened? What did we, you know, and now it really feels like a partnership and they're right there with you and, 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 and there's a ton of nuanced advantage to that as well in terms of I have almost every case, not all, but almost every case, I will ask the patient to do something in regards to what we're working on, whether it's, I mean, tendon repair is the obvious one. You repair a flexor tendon, and then I say, Bob, I need you to make a fist. And, you know, and I want to make sure that, A, the tendon repair holds up, B, that it doesn't get stuck on anything. And so they're, they can't feel it. It doesn't hurt them, but they're making a fist. And so you get immediate confirmation that – 
you've done a good job with the repair and, and some people do want to see, we let them peek over the drapes and they love that. A lot of people don't. <laughs> so I do, I, I miss the, the, the collegial camaraderie, but, but it's been replaced nicely with a dedicated time with your patient in a one-on-one situation. I have wonderful staff and I love to see their interactions. And it, it really, it, it's actually fun. I mean, it's a, it's a fun experience, which seems weird. Like you're going to get numbed up and have surgery and have a scalpel brought to your skin and somehow, People leave really excited. They're proud of themselves. I can't believe I did that. So anyway, that's that was that. You asked about the expense side of it. And so it's it, it really, it's a lot of things. So there's the obvious, uh, eliminating that facility fee. And and you're not eliminating it because, but I can, I can tell you now, I'm much more educated six months into this process than I was before. But I can tell you that you and I together, don't make the facility fee oh, yeah, yeah, on ma- majority of these. So, um, so we are able to pare that number way down. And, um, what we're finding is the insurance companies as, as immovable entities as they seem like they can be, they still want to save money too. And so the, the it's, I have found it more, it's an education than a negotiation where, they don't really know what you're doing and you have to really sit down and say, this is the entire thing. So let's break it down. If we do it the traditional way, these are going to be your costs. If it's, if it's an anesthetic with sedation and they're over 40, as you know, they're going to get an EKG preoperatively. They're going to get lab work. They're going to have a clearance by a primary care doctor. And so all of those just go away. Those are the indirect costs. And then of course the direct costs and all of this stuff adds up. And so by us being able to pare it down into, you know, into a, it becomes a very manageable number that for many, it's a number that is sometimes a half or one third or one fifth of their deductible. So even the insured patient, we have had many patients with quote unquote insurance ask what our cash price is. And we have, we were, we're a few weeks away from our published list and we're going to publish it. It's going to be on the internet. Anybody can see it what, what things cost. And when we tell them, they will tell us that's one third of my deductible. And of course we're honest and say, this is a calculated risk. If you pay us cash for your procedure and we don't involve your insurance, you need to know that those dollars don't count right. as your deductible. So we're not trying to pull a fast one, but we just provide that education. We can look up there. And so most people, we say, when was the last time you met your, your $8,500 deductible in the last 10 years? And they say never. So, you know, it's an education process with them, complete transparency both ways. We, for us, we just want to take care of them in a, in a safe, efficient cost-effective way and for some that's going to be going the insurance route and for others it's straight cash and i know you have a lot of exposure and experience personally with the the pure cash self-funded situation Mm -hmm. which um and that is a a a model that is growing and and of course they're drawn to a situation like ours because it doesn't exist other than a handful of places in the country so to be able to sit down online look up your cost ahead of time plan for it budget it and do it that's that's what the people who live in that world are doing and so we're we're, we're, we've already seen many patients from that and i don't know that there's a huge population in west michigan yet but i think it's growing yeah it's interesting because you know like you mentioned i'm i have a health sharing ministry so we're paying everything cash and so we you know don't have insurance but do you see a time when you're going to be 
Well, I guess, you know, the question is, do you think see a time when you don't take insurance? Like, you know, when you look at, say, Keith Smith's Surgery Center of Oklahoma, sure. they just said, we're not doing insurance anymore because we have enough volume that we don't, we don't need it. Mm-hmm. Um, they have enough, I think, large employers, I think is part of it too, mm-hmm. who, like, you know, Walmart or these other, that say, it's better for us just to send them people there than to send them to, you know, sure. a large institution in our town or something like that. I mean, do you see, do you, is that your vision at some point you think you may get to that, get to there where you no longer have to deal with the whole insurance aspect? Because you still have to have people billing and coding, right? I mean, yeah. since you're, you're a hybrid model. Hybrid, yeah. So it's a great question. The, I don't know that I have that vision or even that goal. I do want to present the most options for what the services people are getting. The more cho- choice is always a good thing. Choice is always is going to benefit the consumer more than not having choice. So currently it's doing both. And I will tell you that the work and the cost and the time staff credentialing meeting with the insurance companies, teaching them, educating them as to what we're doing and, and working them into a, into a fair situation with us is, is unbelievable <laughs> and the, the magnitude of it. And it is not a quick process. And we're really finding that out right now. We're, we're, we've actually had great traction and I have found more and more. It's a little bit of the domino effect. As soon as one big player kind of signs on and said, I like this. Yeah, this, this makes a lot of sense. Then be, the next negotiation slash education becomes real, a lot easier and you can kind of start saying, well, this is what we're, you know, kind of what we're doing with them. So, so I, we're doing both right now. If we could get to a situation where a critical mass, where our volume on a purely cash basis uh, could keep our business open and running and, and doing well, uh, it would, I, I would drop insurance in the blink of an eye. Do you, do you see a, a large growth of say employers coming to you is because I feel like the, with self-funded plans, right mm-hmm. there, the employer's looking for alternatives to sending people to the, the more expensive, you know, options. Is sure. There, do, do you negotiate directly with them? Now I know you're newly into this, right? So I don't expect you've had <laughs> only about five, six months in this process. You're not going to have six months minus six two months. and a half for Corona. So, you know, we're, <laughs> we are fledgling to say stupid, the least stupid coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, but do, I mean, do you, do you have a lot of contact with employers? Is that something that you're seeing more of? Are they like, cause I imagine those guys, I mean, it's a pretty tight circle of people who are CEOs or mm-hmm. CFOs of these companies that, yeah. right. They meet in their chamber of commerce or whatever, like, right. And they talk about ways they're saving money. Right. It is a hundred percent. Uh, a huge goal of ours. And I have initiated conversations with several businesses. And the interesting thing about the employer approach is actually there's two scenarios. There's the self-funded employer. And we've seen that with the Walmarts, and the Amazons saying, you know what, we're not doing, we're not doing health insurance. We're just going to bring a primary care doctor into the building mm-hmm. And everyone's going to do their annuals stuff there. It's, they're just going to do it. They get their labs and their all their stuff that they can do there. In, in terms, and it's probably pretty good primary care. It's a, it, assuming that it's a, it's a good qualified doctor sure. and nurse and whoever. The, I mean, I don't know. I don't have a ton of details about that situation. But the idea is, instead of paying a lump sum per employee per year over and over and over times however many employees it's a huge number. You suddenly have a huge budget to work with. And you say, well, if I just took that money and said, I'm just going to pay as we go, make sure that people stay healthy. I'm going to bring the doctor to you. 
they're probably going to get more frequent checks, more regular checks. As you know, the you know preventative care is going to eliminate, eliminate so much cost down the line. So they're going to that. And then if there's an incidental thing, then they've got this big pot of money to pay for the, the care for that person. And so that employer is very interested in what I'm doing in terms of, I mean, we've even approached groups and we are not an ER and we are one office and, uh, and you know, we're not 24 seven, but here's our line. Here's our, you know, here's your secure line. And how many fingertip smashes did you have last year that you sent to the ER, the urgent care, and they got that institutional upcharge because you walked in the door plus right. the x-ray plus a couple of stitches. And at the end of it, they said, here, follow up with the hand guy who's on call today. And I'm not denigrating the people providing that care. Those are wonderful people too. But the whole thing is, what if we could intercept that and eliminate that whole visit, that $3,500 to $5,000 ER visit, which ultimately just leads into a follow-up into my office or one of my colleagues. So if you can, if you can take away that visit and say, we'll see him, we'll see him today, or, Hey, we're, we're five minutes from closing. Let me see the picture. Hey, you can, we'll see that first thing in the morning. And, And so having that ability to intercept that. So that's your acute care. You also have those employees that have the same chronic conditions that everyone else does. Carpal tunnel, thumb arthritis, right. trigger fingers. So they have that same back line. You can get them in quickly. You can diagnose them quickly and you can treat them at a rate that for that employer, again, who's paying for every episode of care as they go, there will be no less expensive way for them to do it. There'll be no more efficient way for them to do it in terms of timing and there'll be no faster way to get them back to work. So they're they're saving on multiple ways in terms of returning the employee to work faster, less delays in the treatment, uh, less delays and smaller delays in the treatment because there's a conduit to us. So they're very, they're an easy sell the, when they're paying as they go. But I had a con- conversation recently with a friend of mine that I play hockey with, who's a CEO of a local company. They've got 30 employees and I called him as a friend and I just said, Hey, I, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about this. And this is what we're working on. And, and mostly I, I, I wasn't pitching him. I was just <laughs> saying, pretend I'm pitching you and, and poke holes in it and tell me what yeah, I need right. to tell me what I need to do differently. And he had great thoughts. Um, but he just said, he, he, he said, this has legs. He said, we have insurance. So you have to prove to me that you can lower my insurance premiums for my employees. You have to prove to me that you can lower my work comp premiums. He said, if you can do those two things, he's like, you've got the return to work quickly thing nailed. So if you can prove those two things, you, you've got this. And so, so that's, so that's two different style of employers, one who's paying as they go. And then one who's fully insured in the traditional way. Do you feel like you almost have to couple that with a direct primary care? I mean, if you're saying to someone or, or someone, you would bring someone in in-house, like you said, with Walmart or, you know, whatever, if they mm-hmm. Google, you know, they have actually physicians in house or something yeah. like that, but you have to have that other component too, right? I mean, you can't just say we're going to have insurance and then also I'm going to provide cheaper, you know, alternatives to your insurance because they're still paying that insurance up fee. I don't say so, cheaper. I say more efficient. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that word. Right. right. Less expensive. <laughs> or, that's better. But yeah, efficient. I think that's probably, yeah, that makes, well, I mean, and certainly your process is far more streamlined than, you know, the traditional Right. Cause if I'm coming, I need a carpal tunnel. If I can come in, see you same day and then you do it, mm-hmm. uh, which brings to another question, I guess, you know, well, first to answer the DPC question, do you feel like that's sort of an important component to that? I mean, DPC is obviously a small part of practice at this time, but it's growing. Right. I mean, I, I am not fundamentally connected to any of the DPC practices. 
um, if an employer is, they are curious to know that they have an option for specialty care. Granted, I'm not, all, I'm just one specialty, right, but, yeah. but it is, it happens to be one that lots of people get. Again, yeah. If you're an industrial key, process, right. You're going to, right, yeah, right. You're manufacturing. Yeah. I mean, if, but you know, if you work in an office, there's doors and filing cabinets and people <laughs> smash their finger, you know, yeah. it doesn't really matter. People do stuff. And if they do it at work, it's a nightmare for the employer and the HR. And so to have that connection, that relationship and that person or that place, and it's a phone call instead of calling, you know, 911 or, you know, get in your car and go to the urgent care of the ambulance and we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out on the back end having that connection connection is really, is really important. And it does, it saves them time. It saves them money. And quite honestly, it's the best possible care. We saw a guy last week who ironically was in his car driving to the ER. He's a carpenter, got his thumb tangled up in a table saw. And he had a, he was doing private work for another partner, another person in the building. And that person was just calling him to ask about the project. <laughs> and they said, I'll make up his name. He said, Mark, you don't sound good. What's happening? And he's like, ah, I just got my thumb in the table. So I'm driving to the ER. And <laughs> Only Carpenter would and, and, <laughs> oh, my and table the, saw. And the person on the other end of the phone said, well, and, and they're, uh, they're not a hand surgery office, but they're a medical office. And they said, don't go to the ER. Come here. We'll take a look at it. You don't need to go to the ER. So he drives over there. They take a look and they're like, go upstairs and see Randy. <laughs> so, and ironically I was actually on call for the hospital. So it, it played out exactly as it should have in, in, in what we're discussing, he was going to go to the ER, get some care there, get a big bill there, and then be told to follow up with me. Yeah. So he came in and we, we talked to him, wonderful guy took, and we took care of him right then and there. We numbed him up we washed out his wounds uh, closed his, fixed his nail bed, fixed his skin. And, and it was just exactly how it should be. I mean, he went from injury to, to his definitive care in a span of like 75 minutes, which in this particular instance was dumb luck. But, but yeah. in reality, that's, that's, that's ultimately the goal. We, and we won't be able to do that every time, but if we can do that a bunch of times, it's going to be the best care for the patient and the least expensive care for the employer, et cetera. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's exactly, and as a patient, that's exactly what you want, right? Like you want to have, yeah. whatever needs to be done, you want it done as soon as possible is, right. you know, that's health, you know, that's safe or whatever. Do you find it with your, with your practice and with your clinic, let's say, I mean, the traditional orthopedic clinic, and I'm just going to guess, since I'm just a dumb anesthesiologist, that you have a day where you see people who are new consults for potential surgeries, and then you see people who have follow-ups, mm-hmm. right? And that's sort of your clinic. And then you have a certain amount of time you spend with those people, your new consults, maybe 30 minutes or 20 minutes, whatever. And then five, five minutes or 10 minutes for follow-ups. Now your practice is different, right? Cause now you have your procedures interspersed within your practice, but you also probably don't know that you're going to have a procedures, right? Someone might come in with carpal tunnel syndrome and say, Hey, I really, you know, my fingers tingling. I, can you do something about this? And you're like, yeah, do you got, have you got 20 minutes or something? Right. <laughs> right. Uh, and they're like, what? Um, but how do you sort of work that into your schedule? Is that was that a hard thing to sort of kind of conceptualize because it's got to be re- totally rethinking the way you've been practicing. It is. And it's a challenge. And we, we have discussed trying to do that when we can, certainly in the acute injury setting, we can do that. But there are times where somebody's coming in and we haven't, we have plans to market regionally. So where we can do video evaluations get digital versions of people's nerve tests, 
But because we can provide sort of one-stop shop, I refer to our place as a destination hand center where you, you could drive two hours away. You could drive yourself mm-hmm, right. and you could, but if, if I've evaluated you by video and we've confirmed the diagnosis and we've, we've exchanged the proper information, that person can literally schedule their procedure. So obviously most of our procedures are scheduled and I've always been a bit of a lumper than a splitter. I always kind of liked having office days and OR days. Sure. But when your OR is 20 feet down the hall <laughs> and you've got all of the equipment ready to go, there are times and, and, and we're new and we're not as busy as we will be. And we've discussed this, like now we can do that and we'll do it whenever we can, uh, to the degree that we can and to the degree that patients want. Sure. I mean, the, there's such a low expectation that I'm going to come in and get diagnosed and treated at the same time. But we hope to get there to a certain degree where that is kind of what we do especially obviously for your far away patients. Currently we do it when, when we can and when patients want to, uh, ironically, if there's an insurance situation, then we still have to go through the hoops of prior authorization and that right. usually, so iron, I mean, even though we're willing and able, we need to, we need to act in the interest of the patient and we don't want to violate the rules of the insurance. And then either we don't get paid or the patient gets a bill that they didn't want. And so, you know, we still have to play that game in the cash world. It, all that goes away. Right. Makes things easier, obviously much more freedom in that, which kind of brings the question. So with, when it comes to pricing, you're going to say, when you talk to people in medical practices, say, well, why don't you publish your prices? And the problem is, of course, the price depends on who you're talking to, right? Right. If I'm talking to Blue Cross Blue Shield, if I'm talking to Aetna, if I'm talking to United Health, if I'm talking to Kaiser, whoever, uh, or Medicare, Medicaid, right? My prices are totally different depending on who I'm talking to because I have separate contracts with which you with each con- uh, company, uh, you know, as your patient, you don't care. You're carrying whatever insurance you're carrying, but it does absolutely matter for, for those carriers. And if you are going to offer a cash price and it's, let's say less than what your contracted price is from one of the insurance companies, you really can't do that. Right. Like, especially when it comes to Medicare and Medicaid, right. Cause they're going to say, why am I paying more then you know what you charge someone just you know with paying cash is that is that accurate because i think that's that's always a mystery to people who aren't in the business right sure. of medicine well the mystery is putting it lightly it is the obfuscation of pricing in healthcare is truly remarkable and you know more than most and you know more than i but it is it, it is amazing how hard we have had to work and the stones we have to turn over and the connections we've had to ring to get down to what is the actual transaction. And I have patients that are very happy with me. And as I was getting things going and, and they've asked me, what can I, what can I do to help? I really I believe in what you're doing. You're trying to change things. You're trying to make it better. It's a, it's a, it's a bottom up approach. It's a patient first approach. And, and I just want to support you. What can I do? And if I've done something for them, I ask them for their bill, what, whether it was at a surgical center or at the hospital. And of course, I ask them, remove your name, remove your anything identifying. Just cut it out with scissors. I don't care what you do, but I, I just, I'm collecting and studying these bills. And it's, it's, a fascinating, it's a fascinating process. And I've, had, I've been blessed with good health, and so I, I have had very little, uh, very little personal medical yeah, right. bills yeah, myself, yeah. which mm-hmm. has been, which is great. And I'm grateful, but, but the, so I don't, I've not had a lot of medical bills. And so they've been sending them to me and I've been collecting them and studying them. And to put it in perspective, I did a 
local endoscopic carpal tunnel release at a surgical center in July. I did another or June of last year, and then I did one in August, same patient. And she was one of those very grateful patients. Please, how can I help? And so she photocopied her bill, crossed off all the personal identifying stuff. So it was just a generic bill, but it was an actual bill. And the first one was 5000 from the surgical center. This was for a procedure that typically takes between five and 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Typically done with sedation, but I've switched over the years to moving it to a local procedure. It was 5000 some dollars. So this is without anesthesia? No anesthesia. So just to make that clear to the listeners, this is not, not with the inflated anesthesia charge. Right. <laughs> there was no trumped up Eric Larson <laughs> in Asterix. We'll bill you later. No, it was, uh, it was, it was, the, so that, exactly. So it was a five to 10 minute actual procedure. Obviously there's more to it than that. And, and it's a procedure that very few, well, a minority of hand surgeons do in the first place. And then a, a very small minority do under local. So that was her first bill. And then her insurance company came and I had the itemized bill and, and things that were charged a disposable part of that process. It was an $800 charge. Well, I've purchased that same device in my own practice for 200, but I've also (laughs) spoken with industry people and they have green programs and they sterilize these and they can be used up to five times. And so, so now, and we're doing, we have, so we're doing that. So what, what got billed to the patient for $800, I can now use for $40. So 2000% markup. Essentially. Yeah. Now, as you know, that's just a made up number. Yeah, sure. I mean, the rubber band that squeezes the S mark bandage that squeezes the blood out of the arm for the tourniquet, I want to say was around $55. What? $55 for a rubber band? It's, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's, it's sterile and it's latex free. So (laughs) that's where the, that's where the money, I mean, it, it, it might've actually been 80, but anyway, you get the idea. So there's, so there's this $5,000 bill and then. And then this person has good insurance. It's a good company. And then there's this total bill. And then it's called modifications slash adjustments, 3,500 and change with this residual amount, which ends up being, I was around $2,000 and then it was paid by the person's insurance. And presumably they had met their deductible for the year. Okay. The second one, which was later in the year, and I found this interesting and I never have fully understood this. The later one, and this is... This is an interesting story, and I'm, I'm probably telling dark OR secrets right now. But so she comes back for the second one a month and a half later to do her other side. We get to the room. Of course, she's wide awake because it's a local. Sure. Yep. So I don't have the pleasure of your company. And, and so she's wide awake, very calm because she's been through this before. Nice, outgoing woman, and we're all kind of talking. And we get to the room, and... I'm getting some scared looks from the staff and they're like, Oh, we opened the wrong tray. I said, okay, that's fine. You know, I've already numbed her up, which is not a problem. The longer she's numb, the, the better. Yeah. So I, and we're already back in the room. So they've got to quickly sterilize the right tray mm-hmm. entirely. This is a case we, we literally do hundreds of here. Somebody filled in, grabbed the wrong tray. Not a big deal, except that it translated to about a 20 minute delay in the OR which is entirely the responsibility and the mistake of the facility. So I explained to the patient what was happening and we just socialized for a bit in the room and, and then some time went by and the kit came in and surgery went off without a hitch. She gets the bill for that. And it's, I want to say about $540 more expensive than the previous one. 
And she only, she would never have known that or noticed it other than she had two identical bills for two identical procedures. Only one was more expensive. Right. And they were asking her to pay that difference. So because they were sending me their bills just because I'd asked them to so I could study them, she, they were aware and they were confused. Like, why, why are we, why, we didn't pay any for the first one. Now we, we got to pay this difference. And then they had studied it. And if you look hard enough and, and you've got, you've got some savvy, you, you could figure out there was an add-on for extra in-room time. And that was the only thing she was getting charged for. So it's extra. not because left sides are more complicated right. than doing a right, right. side. Right, right. <laughs> so, so I kind of was stunned. I, 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 and of course, this isn't some person sitting there and saying, ah, let's, let's go get this. It's just the system is programmed and wired to work that way. And so she brought it to my attention and I said, 100%, this is not your responsibility. This this was a, a simple error that that no harm came of it. And but you but you should not be financially responsible for this. I asked her to point that out to the proper channels, and if she was getting resistance, let me know. And she came back a week or two later and said they're not budging. So then I got on the phone. I started writing letters, writing emails, and I ran it up the flagpole as far as I could. And then the family called me back and said. They're just, you know, whatever, writing off those charges. Yeah. And writing them off. <laughs> right, right. Somebody else got them. But yeah. So it, but it was just a great example to me of how the system isn't set up for the patient. It isn't based on necessarily doing the right thing. And, and it's not anyone's fault. And, and these aren't, these weren't, these aren't bad people who are doing this, but it's just the environment and the system in which they're working. And the way things just automatically generate a charge for this and generate a charge for that. And, and if you don't, if you're the patient and you don't have the gumption or the backbone or the, quite frankly, the, the suspicion, I guess, to kind of challenge it, you'll just cut a check and it just goes away. And so that was interesting. And, and so we can, but you know, the mystery back to the bill, I mean, that was just kind of a sidebar, but the bill, this had to go from $5,250 to this mysterious modification adjustment. And and trying to figure out what happens in there is, I mean, you and I'd have a better time figuring out who shot JFK than, <laughs> than, than, than cracking that code. So, you know, this person had good insurance. So, so that's what this body of work that we've been doing is figuring out the actual transaction. Because I can't go to insurance company XYZ and say, I know what you're paying. I know what you're paying and we can beat it on every, I mean, the reality is that we, we can beat it by a mile because we, we have carved so much of the whole episode of care out, just flat carved it out in terms of, uh, the institutional fee, the facility fee, the anesthesia fee, the, the, and the pre-op clearance and all of that. So it's a pretty easy sell, quite honestly. I mean, everybody wins. The patient wins the insurance company benefits. They're paying less. You guys in the NSC's world don't win, but as you said, you got plenty of other things to we do. Don't, and we don't even know. Right. right? I mean, if it, if it never comes to us, we never know that it's gone. Right. In some ways. Right. Right? Uh, but so this is interesting because, you know, when I talked to Keith Smith, he talked about how you, he thought for sure when he had, um, when he had these easy cells, like, you know, I'm charging one quarter of what sure. the hospital is for whatever procedure is. He still met tremendous resistance within the insurance world because the insurance companies, 
they get a percentage back of what they saved the save their um, the per, the person they have the contract with the employer, and so for them they are actually incentivized to have large charges in some ways, mm-hmm. and so because they, they actually can make more by saying it's since you know we got we save fifty percent and we actually get ten percent of that back as an incentive for the employer that's part of our agreement. And so it actually, if 50% of $1,000 is a lot more than 50% of $100. Sure. So for us, it's actually better because then we get $100 back, let's say, versus you know $10. And so overall, they're better off with these higher charges. And so he found a lot of resistance from the insurance companies for that. It, are you just not seeing that as much? Or I, I no, I mean, we've, we've, we've had good success with a couple of big insurance companies in terms of conveying our message. Mm-hmm. I think that... Uh, ultimately, you are certainly right in and and everything you just said is is so perverse in yeah. terms of economics and mathematics and reality and and valued based care. But the um, I think that we can the the opposite of that scenario is the fact that if the ultimate charge is just at such a low level yeah, right. for them, there's a so it either. They either make money on trumping it up and taking a percentage of that, or they make money on just ultimately having a lesser bill. Sure. They charge the same premium, but then now there's, they're, they're, they, the money out the door is yeah. less, a lot less. Yeah. This year, again, you know these numbers, but I do. This year is the first year that the average self funded family basic insurance is over $20,000 for, I think, two parents, two kids. If you say, you know what, I'm just going to buy my insurance for my family this year, my health insurance, it's over $20,000. And so you think, well, what, what did I get for that? And then in a year I get to do that again. Right. And, and, and so what, and you, you've had podcasts on this and and what you've done and um, we're looking to do the same in our own office is go, so you have this money that you're spending and then you're not using it there you're you just spend it because you've been told you have to have it and you can't live without insurance yeah and and as you've mentioned many times it's not insurance it's prepaid health care that you that you may or may not use probably not going to use it in most cases which is exactly how the whole thing works which is exactly why i think the other statistic that i read the other day is 70 it's either 78 or 82 cents of every health care dollar goes to non-care it's you know, something the middleman, the administrators, the coders, the billers, the non whatever. Yeah. yeah. Has, in other words, 18 to 22 cents out of every dollar spent in healthcare actually goes towards the delivery of care to the patient. It's a problem. That's a huge problem. So right now we're just doing our best. We are one, one place, one Island trying to change the game and, and it's exciting and scary and, <laughs> fun i the the feedback from the patients that have been to see us and they've seen it work in real time and and the number of people we've been able to treat acutely they come in with we treated a guy the other day with an infection and and he needed to go right then and there and so we numbed him up and washed out his finger infection and 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 it's just a it, it's it really is a paradigm shift for how my whole life i've done hand surgery that was a case that would come in at 4 30 and I would be calling you and saying, Hey, I hope yeah. you're not having dinner with your family because we're going to the OR. Yeah. And Patient then, had lunch. When can we yeah. go? It's and, like eight, nine o'clock at night or now or something. They're driving over to the hospital and yeah. you're coming in from home and I'm going there. And, and so 
you know, there will always, we will always have to do that. What am I calling the mangled hands and the, and the traumas and, and you'll always have to go in the night and there's always going to be that. But, but if we can take a lot of that and treat it right for the patient, their costs are down. Another thing in is, is the environmental side of what we do by this, the way we do these procedures, the, the amount of trash we generate is a fraction. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's one tenth. I have a, I have a picture of, myself in one of our procedure rooms with the amount of disposable stuff and it's rolled up in my hand and it's like this it's like a big burrito it's in one hand and that goes in the trash bin and i the next day i did a small simple case at one of the surgical centers and it was two you know waist high bins full of you know landfill disposable yeah i mean it's 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 probably less than one tenth and and you correlate that out to again cost environmental issues and so it's i'm excited it's 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 a big uphill battle to convince people that that we've seen a better way we've seen it in action we still need to get paid to keep the lights on and so we're working through that part of it but patients are happy really happy to be there we've got wonderful staff and we just live in a great community and i think people want to make changes and want to see things improve and this is just one way i mean i'm i'm not so you know, broad in my thinking to think that suddenly everyone's going to kind of adopt this sort of model, but I don't, but I think everybody, whether, I mean, hand surgery is uniquely positioned for this in terms of the ability to anesthetize an extremity, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and, and I mean, to some degree, foot and ankle could do the same thing. Uh, I don't see my general surgery colleagues doing, you know, local, local appendectomies. And so it, you know, there, <laughs> yeah. it, there, yeah. it does have its limits, yeah, right. yeah. but, but at the end of the day, you know, and it, it's, I guess I equated a little bit to the DPC movement in a primary care way. It's just, it's, it's kind of stripping away all of the layers, all the excess that's sort of baked into the process already that, that ultimately doesn't add value to the care, doesn't improve the health of the patient and it just costs money. Yeah. And it's just the system we got. Well, I think, you know, actually your, your example, the, the trash is a really good example because you have, you have really just added waste that there's no, there's nothing, there's no value provided that, right? You provide exactly the same service, the same quality, the same outcomes. And yet your, your waste is, you know, you can fit it's in your hand versus, <laughs> versus two big sacks. And I've seen them carry these sacks out and, you know, some of that's a lot of that's regulatory burden from the surgical centers. And there's lots of things that are outside the control of the surgery centers, but that's just the reality of the system as it is. And mm-hmm. so I, the one thing I never expected doing the show is to find people who are able to uh, navigate and provide care in ways, even within the current system. Because again, like you started the, when we, the discussion is that you said, well, you know, you can't expect a top down solution for these things because it is going to be people who are doing their little thing in their little tiny corner of the world to sort of change things and to, and even if it does, your your practice model isn't like replicated and done by you know a thousand other people it doesn't really matter right i mean you're providing the service you want that is great for your patients and great for you and you enjoy it and i mean it works out for you and everybody else and so it's kind of incumbent on everyone else to do whatever they want but the market the nice thing is the market signals will provide the answers for whether this is something that people want or not and so i mean kudos to you for doing this i mean you think you'll still be doing it a couple years i mean i mean does it feel like your momentum is in the right direction and this is Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, we have definitely had our, um, our setbacks and we planned on those. We expected that there would be frustration. You planned on a pandemic? Was that part? <laughs> well, <laughs> that one was a little bit, that, that one came out of left field, but we certainly knew what we were doing was hard. 
and was a was a big deal and we we've quite literally bet the farm on it and I partnered with my wife and I, I wouldn't have it any other way and I, I this was never something she's a, a wonderful RN and 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 I knew as I started concocting this idea that this was something that it was I wasn't hi bye honey I'm going to work today and I'm gonna like it just wasn't gonna work that way I a I needed her wisdom I needed her courage I needed her skill uh, her passion and so we did it together and um and and we've just been totally blessed by the people that have kind of shown up at our door and uh you know we you know it's a small town and you're leaving what are you going to do and uh the number of applications we had on our indeed site within you know sort of minutes of me announcing and and I I couldn't post applications until I had announced my separation from the previous situation and then once once I was free and clear to do that and it was amazing and texts and emails and, and, and the energy that, that people, the really good people, you know, and people was craving something different that, that was really, truly not just lip service, but just focused on taking care of the patients and doing the best possible way we could take care of them in a, in a new way in an unorthodox way, but ultimately puts, puts them in the mult, the, the best possible situation to have safety in terms of no complication cost and freedom to make some choices and and our staff is is completely bought in and and even people who like skeptical like you certainly are gonna have skeptics and i love taking care of the skeptics and i've had patients tell me hey, you can't take a mole off my body without <laughs> me passing out and throwing up i can't i need anesthesia and i've got the confidence now because i've done it long enough you know i was kind of working on these techniques well before we opened i mean you oh you yeah no day, question you, you were doing lots more local than other last, people yeah last year and a half two years and expanding the breadth of these cases so so these the i you get the you get the the really stoic guys you know wearing the you know world war 2 hats and they come in like ah you don't even need to use numbing just take it out doc and you know those guys are great and i love them and they're the easiest and the best patients in the world but the anxious person the nervous patient who has a needle phobia for example and we talk them through it and i say listen nothing's gonna happen to you that you don't want and and there's a whole science to how we do it and it's it's not the old days of just jamming in there and make it as numb as you can there's a very methodical way we numb people and and those people i have found to be the most grateful mm-hmm. and they're it's almost like an they can't believe it. It's a totally new experience for them, right? They've never they, had it before. Yeah. I, I don't even like get my flu shot and you just did a whole surgery on my finger. And yeah, I, I felt that first pope, but it's a tiny needle. And, and after that, I didn't really feel anything. And, and they're proud of themselves and they, they call their friends. Like I just had surgery <laughs> and I was wide awake and I got to talk to my doctor the whole time. So it's, I know that when you have a situation that when you, when I talk about it and I talk to people who have either are in the business like you or people who are not in the business, there's just a, a resonance in their face and they kind of, wow. Like, and every time I do a case, every time I do a, a bigger case, maybe it's the first time I've done that size case under local and I walk out of the room and I'm telling someone about it. And, and the, the common theme is why, why, why did it take us so long to figure this out? Why aren't we doing this sooner? Yeah. And it's not, it's not like this is new science, but it's just an innovative concept in terms of expanding 
the range of you know lidocaine's been around forever for 50 <laughs> years but it, it's been uh it, it uh, ironically it took a canadian hand surgeon who works in a single payer system to be the champion for it and and that's really where it started and, and his name's don lalon and he's a he's a great a great guy and he got frustrated being in a single payer system in canada because he had this backlog of patients and they wanted their surgery and you know carpal tunnel is not a a huge deal but when it, it keeps you up every night it becomes a pretty big deal and he got frustrated and so he just said you know what i wonder if we can maybe do that under local in the office and he 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 just took techniques that were already out there and he started to put them together and he just started small and started slow and just added to it added to it tracked his outcomes tracked his infections and and he was the he's been the champion of it and it has spread i mean it's all over canada and it's in the it's in the uk quite a bit and guys in in america i mean we're doing it but not no one's doing it to the degree that i am in terms of all out commitment and the space and the equipment and the sterilizers and the you know the the permanent stuff so it it's a bold uh, aggressive vision maybe I, I should say but but i have i have no fear that we'll get there but the education and the and the dissemination of what we're doing is really the key right now. Boy, it's interesting because that's like the, the reasons for you doing yours is totally different than his, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, in some ways, right? Like he had it because he couldn't get OR time. I imagine it's mo yeah. a lot of the problem, right? He yeah. couldn't get to get the surgery scheduled because there's a huge constraint in a third, in a, a single payer system yeah. of, you know, resources. Right. And yours is sort of similar in the sense of financial resources, right? For people and, you know, and certainly just a different way of doing things. And so, well, that's been really interesting talking to you about the whole thing. Your new joint venture. It's my pen for the day. Uh, what, where can people find more, follow you? Now, I know we talked earlier before we got, was on, we're online that you're not a big Twitter or Facebook person, but well, where do people find out more about your practice and what you're doing? And if, you know, people are interested in, you know. Sure. So our, do our, actually our website is actively being revamped as we speak, but the, the URL will stay the same. So the website is www.lovelhand.com. And the, um, we do have a Facebook page. Uh, so if you, if you get on Facebook and you search for Lovell Hand or Lovell Hand and Orthopedic Center, you should have no trouble finding that. Um, so those are the two main, the two main avenues. And of course the website of course has all the other contact information. So, uh, I would say that would be the two best ways. Well, Randy, thanks so much for spending the evening with me in, Thank you, in my studio. <laughs> Just remember, if things don't work out, I hope you've got a guest room somewhere in the basement of your house here because my wife and I and our kids will be here. So, uh, yeah, currently problem is my, my foster son lives in the basement. But, uh, you know, at some point I'm we a, have to kick him out anyway. So right, I just, right. I'll take the highest bidder. We'll go. <laughs> no, I, I'm obviously kidding. And I would just like to say I'm so appreciative to you and the work you've done with your podcast. And then of course, Marcy's, uh, spinoff. It's really, it's, it's a, you did, I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm not being disingenuous when I say like, I doubt I would, I would have gotten to the point where I'm at and my wife and I are at with truly without like your podcast. And, and I did find it randomly. I remember the day I was dropping my kids off, our kids off at school and I was trying to expand my mind and, and I was getting, doing the podcast thing and I knew that I was going to make changes and I was searching for healthcare podcasts and the paradox came up. I'm going to see, this seems interesting. I didn't see your name and I'm, <laughs> I fired it up and I, I want to say it was episode one and it's about an eight minute drive to work and, and I, I'm four minutes in. I, 
this guy's got a really nice, soothing voice, and, and he seems really smart. He seems really familiar, and and then all of a sudden, like ding, ding, ding. I'm like, that's Eric Larson. I'm, you know, usually I'm talking, we've got masks over our face, so it was fascinating. It was just one of those. I don't know, we call it a, a God thing or whatever, but um, it was pretty cool. And and it was like from that point forward, it, I needed the crystallization. I, I mean, I think that I had the the soluble elements of my thoughts were there, but they needed to crystallize. And and that's where I, every day I'm like, Oh, did he do a new one yet? Did he do one? You know, it would take me a few car rides to get through one because I don't have a long car ride, but it was great. And, and like I said, I mean, I've reached out to guests of yours. Uh, I've listened to a podcast. I, and as soon as I got done with that, I'd write the name. I contacted Keith Smith and his group and, and many others. And, and, and it, and, and obviously you have a very wide ranging podcast and, and some things were, they're always interesting, but some were obviously directly in, in alignment with my thinking and, and it had a, a ton to do with the formulation of our thoughts. So I would just like to take a second to say thank you for that. Well, you're very welcome. Thanks for the kind words. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what The Doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher and share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash theparadox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com. <laughs>